Welcome to Coog's Talk Stock from WSU Extension, a science-based podcast about animal agriculture for those that raise food animals, those that are interested in learning how, and those that want to learn more about where their food comes from. Find us online at soundcloud.com forward slash Coog's Talk Stock. Hi, this is Hannah Browse with Washington State University. I am the Extension Director for Klickitat and Skamania Counties. Joining me today is Chris Schock-Snyder from Oregon State University, where he is a livestock and rangeland field faculty with Umatilla and Morrow Counties. Today, we're going to talk a little bit more about livestock handling management. So, uh, Chris, this is uh, right in his wheelhouse, so we're glad to have him joining us today. And and we'd like to just start, Chris, would you talk to us a little bit about in the last four years with your experience at Oregon State University Extension, what have some of your primary focus areas been? Absolutely. And thank you, Hannah, for having me on here. This is really exciting. Um, in the last four years that I've been in with with Oregon State University, I've kind of developed a three-pronged approach um, with my programming or the um, the work that I've been doing to help and work with ranchers um, in my two counties. And it first starts off with monitoring. So essentially, we know what we have, um, and then once we ha- once we know what we have, we can create a plan to develop what we want to achieve and where we want to go with it. Um, number two would be stockmanship. And so specifically livestock handling and changing our use of livestock from throwing them out in a pasture to eat grass to utilizing them in a manner that it helps us achieve those monitoring and management goals that we developed in our first prong approach. And then number three is a paradigm shift. And so a good example of a paradigm shift is in um, Dr. Stephen Covey's um, book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, where he talks about trying to navigate New York with a roadmap of Detroit. And so the paradigm is really challenging our thought process and making sure that we are using the correct roadmap um, for the actions that we're trying to do. And as we continue to do that, we'll continue to search and, and look for truth. And so for me, that roadmap and that paradigm shift is kind of a two-pronged approach. I'm working with ranchers to try to look at um, holistically managing their property a little bit more and specifically looking at rangeland or landscape level applications. Um, We've kind of done a focus on production in our livestock, but have kind of lacked a little bit on that landscape level look. And then also number two is a paradigm shift in how the general public perceives grazing. And so essentially what I want to do is through our monitoring, through our stockmanship that we're monitoring to achieve our and using stockmanship to achieve our goals, but we're also collecting data to demonstrate that change, that we can start talking about livestock use as not using um, pastures to feed our livestock, but rather using livestock to shape our pastures. And I believe that that is going to be a more holistic approach for everyone involved, and that's going to be more profitable for the producer, as well as more sustainable in the long run. You know, all of those things sound fantastic, Chris. Can you walk us through a little bit about how livestock management can be used to change landscapes? Can you talk to us a little bit more about how is that achieved? Um, Livestock can be utilized um, to achieve some of these things because they create disturbances on the landscape. And so any type of any type of thing that that um, disturbs that landscape. So wind, um, heavy windfalls that'll blow down some trees, a heavy rain event that might cause some erosion, fire, 
any of those things are considered disturbances. And a disturbance is not necessarily a bad thing. Um, so grasses specifically have been um, co-evolved with grazers. And so there can be times where the lack of grazing can actually kill out some of our grasses because they don't have the ability to remove last year's vegetation and they essentially choke themselves out. And so what we want to do is use that disturbance for our good because obviously using that disturbance too much is also a bad thing. And so finding that balance and applying our livestock with a purpose is how we're going to be able to make those changes. Chris, how do you do that? How do you apply livestock for an ecological improvement? That becomes the fun part because um, there's a lot of different ways that you can do it. Um, and there's a lot of different um, theories behind that. So um, fencing is one way that we do that. So there's a lot of places where we've fenced off riparian areas or waterways. And so a creek bottom or a nice little wetland has been fenced off so that cattle can't even get into that area or livestock can't even get into that area. Um, we've done with sheep predominantly, you see herders that are with the sheep all the time that help guide and move them throughout the landscape. Um, but some of the stuff that I'm working on is working with cattle more specifically and handling them in a way where they choose to stay where you ask them to. And I know that sounds kind of goofy, um, but it, it really works. And it's impressive on how well it can work um, when you can get it accomplished, where you handle those cattle in a way where there's they don't have any other idea but to stay where you want them to. And with that, we can start using that to move them across that landscape in strategic places. So if we wanted to keep a riparian area or be careful about being on a stream, especially during, let's say, um, fish breeding season. And so we don't want to disturb those rocks and kick up those, um, kick up those eggs and send them down the river. We can utilize stockmanship to move those cattle in a different area and then hold them in those areas where they're less disturbed or where they're not disturbing that area. Or conversely, let's say we have a spot that is heavily invaded with a, uh, what we would call an annual grass. So cheatgrass or some, some other undesirable plant, we can actually move those cattle onto that place and hold them there for a little bit longer and create more of a disturbance so that we can help um, limit the presence of that vegetation that we don't want. And then in doce, doing so, providing an opportunity for the grasses that you do want to be able to get a hold and to really thrive. That sounds awesome to me. Are producers doing this already? Yes, um, there's a lot of producers. Um, I have some producers here in my counties. Um, there's some great producers in Washington as well. Um, but one of the key ones that I know of that kind of has a great story as a great example is a friend in East Yellowstone um, where they have they have totally shifted their whole paradigm and how they utilize things, um, but then have also improved their landscape far beyond what they could have imagined in the last 10 years. Okay. Well, what, what happened that caused their mindset to change? So with them, um, what happened was they were, uh, there's a couple of things that happened. Number one, wolves came. And so they were very frustrated about how to deal and manage with wolves um, and trying to figure out what to do there. Um, but the more important one that kind of kicked, kicked them in gear was they were spraying weeds every year and were spending roughly about $10,000 a year 
on chemical alone for weed control. And that doesn't include the time it took to pay somebody to do it, one of their hired hands, nor the equipment that they had to spend and fuel and all of that. And they kept doing this and just never felt like they were getting ahead. And so one day they had their um, NRCS agent, which is a natural resource conservation service. Um, he came out and took a look with them and they were telling him what they were doing and, you know, how they were doing it. And they had a very comprehensive, you know, by the book protocols on how to spray for weeds. And he walked around and he said, you know, you're doing a hell of a job spraying weeds, but what are you doing to grow more grass? And all of a sudden their paradigm shift or, or their paradigm shifted. And so they recognized that they were focused on killing something, not replacing it with something else. And so their whole focus and their whole paradigm changed to where they started focusing on growing more grass versus spraying weeds. And since they've made that, that change to their thinking, to their practices, how has that worked for them? It has worked extremely well. Um, and so at this point in time, they very rarely spray a weed. Um, most of the time going several years without doing so, um, because more importantly, they don't look at weeds as something to combat and get rid of. They look at weeds as a management issue and they identify what management they are doing that promotes that weed and what management they need to change to to alleviate that issue and bring in the plants that they want there instead. This sounds like it's of great value to the the landscape itself. You know, as, as farmers and ranchers always pride themselves on, you know, on being good stewards of the land. And this sounds like this sounds like this is a, a great example of that. But also, you know, in agriculture and in farming, uh, it's a business and it needs to be profitable. Has this helped their profitability in any way? Absolutely. Um, so in the last 10 years um, that they have been working on this, they have also done their monitoring. And so they can... They can monitor and see how the progression that they have made. And they have documented increases in quality and quantity of forage on their place. So there's more bites for a cow to take, and each bite is more nutritious. And so in doing so, um, just last year, they added an additional 1,000 animals on their property without increasing an acre, moving their total numbers from 3,000 head of cattle to 4,000 head. And so cost of land and feed is by far the highest cost that you have on an animal. And so they just drastically reduce their feed bill essentially by adding that many 25% or 30% more animals um, on their landscape without actually having to spend more money to do so. All it was was a management change. Wow. that. That sounds like it's a win-win. And, you know, when I'm thinking about this, I'm thinking, what's better than a win-win? A win-win-win. What about <laughs> wildlife? Are there any benefits to to wildlife when these management practices are are, are changed or adjusted? Yes, there are. And um, funny enough, the gal that I'm talking about or the wife that I'm talking about um, in this family is a wildlife biologist by trade. And so she already has a different paradigm um, than a lot of ranchers because she appreciates and wants to work with those wildlife. Um, and essentially what they found is what's good for livestock is also good for the land and the wildlife, the water and everything else. Um, and there's another one that we use um, here in, in Oregon when we're talking about, when we're talking about sage grouse, uh, we say what's good for the bird is good for the herd. And so what we're finding is that good management actually promotes 
quantity um, and diversity of animals. And so they're not killing um, wolves or other predators very often on their ranch intentionally because of livestock use. Um, they're also encouraging and seeing elk and deer herds, as well as migratory birds, um, songbirds, you name it. They have a plethora of it on their ranch. Okay. Well, you know, I appreciate you sharing the specific example of uh, how this is being put in practice in East Yellowstone. Are all producers doing this? Are they heading that direction? Uh, can you catch me up there? We are seeing a, a shift in this direction, um, but I will also say that that ranchers are doing the best with the information that they know right now. Um, and there isn't a rancher that I know of that's intentionally degrading their land to make an extra dollar today because they understand that this is a this is a lifestyle as well as a business. And some of them have been on the ranch for six, seven generations, and they want it to go another six, seven generations. So they're not necessarily doing anything intentionally wrong, if you will, um, but there's always room for improvement. Um, in each and everything that we do, there's always room for improvement. And so that's what I'm trying to work on in my programming is to take what they have and say, there's a lot of good things that are here. What are some fine adjustments that we can do that can accelerate this to make it even better? Okay, so what can our land-grant universities do, yours being Oregon State University, mine being Washington State University, uh, what can they do to help propagate this information? Well, this podcast is a great one um, to start that off with. Um, and then there's also um, another podcast on rangeland that, um, is it Tip Hudson does for Washington State University? Um, and he, he has a great podcast on rangelands um, that talks a little bit about kind of how we how we can focus a little bit more on those rangeland landscapes. Um, and I, um, the art of range, I think is what it's called. It is. Yep. It's called the art of range. And we'll be sure to put the link for Tip Hudson's podcast uh, in, in ours as well. So people can learn more about managing uh, rangelands. I think that would be a great resource. Thanks for sharing that with us, Chris. Are there any other take-home messages or any, any other nuggets of information you'd like to leave us with today? Um, biggest thing that I that I like is um, I'm one that that is always looking for for ways to improve and always looking for how to make the good better. Um, and so we're also working on a livestock handling um, continuing education course um, for for producers that tries to break some of this information down because it truly I mean that livestock handling isn't just about getting the right information out there. It truly is an art form. And the guys that do it well go beyond the science into art. And I mean, it, it is it is a beautiful thing to see for those guys that are really good at it. And so we're trying to conceptualize that and help producers learn and, and continue on that progression of better livestock handling in that pace course or that continuing education course. Awesome. I think, you know, reaching out to your local extension office and, and utilizing the programs as they're available. Um, I like the idea of uh, of making, you know, the best better, you know, and uh, and taking things from good to great. And so I, I think that, you know, we have some resources, we have some new information, um, and I appreciate you coming on the podcast today and sharing some of that with us. Thank you for your time, Chris. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Cougs Talk Stock Podcast, brought to you by Washington State University Extension. You can review, rate, and subscribe on iTunes or anywhere you listen. Find us online at soundcloud.com forward slash Cougs Talk Stock, where the additional resources from our podcasts are linked. 
Let us know if you have any burning questions or suggestions at cougstalkstock at wsu.edu. This podcast is brought to you by Hannah Browse, Sarah Drager, Dr. Don Llewellyn, and Natasha Moffat-Hemmer, and is produced by Connors Communications at Washington State University. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed by guests of this podcast are their own and does not imply Washington State University's endorsement.